Welcome to Living Orthodoxy, an invitation to a deeper life in Christ, a podcast of St. Philip Orthodox Church in Souderton, Pennsylvania, dedicated to connecting the liturgical and spiritual life of the Orthodox parish with the life of the Orthodox home, presenting the weekly homilies of our parish pastors, Father Noah Buscelli and Father James Thayer, as well as discussions of the liturgical year and Orthodox life and practice by Justin Gold and Jeff Hyatt. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ. The Gospel reading today gives us a parable that is both warm and loving and also fierce and challenging. And if you will bear with me, I want to try to put this in context for us a little bit so that we can maybe see the bigger picture of what Jesus is addressing and then we'll turn our attention to what that might look like for us. This parable comes within a conversation that Jesus is having with the chief priest and the elders. And it really begins back in the the previous chapter. The gospel reading today is Matthew 22, but it begins back in Matthew 21 when Jesus, when we think of Palm Sunday, when Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly, humbly, on the full of a donkey, but triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. And then he goes into the temple courts and he purifies the temple. The temple had been, the courts had been set up with money changers, purveyors of religious goods and services. And it wasn't so much that they were offering the items, the animals that were needed for pilgrims who were coming to offer sacrifice, but they were taking advantage of the religious needs of the people and making money and turning God's house from a house of prayer for all nations into a den of thieves, Jesus said, ripping people off, taking advantage of their devotion to God in order to make a little extra money. And so Jesus comes in and he He flips over tables. I don't know if you can think of maybe uh, going to a farmer's market, someone coming through and just grabbing tables of produce and just tossing them and animals fluttering away and money scattering. He, He was upset, right? And so he clears this out and he says to them, you've turned my house, God's house, into a den of thieves. Now, if you're in charge of God's house, might that be a little bit offensive to you, right? You might see that and go, wait a minute, who are you? Who are you? We're the priest. We're the elders here. We'll decide what's going to happen. But Jesus does that. And then, immediately following that, there are people who come to him. And it's not yet the security guards. And it's not yet a confrontation with the priest and the elders. Instead, the people who come to Jesus after he clears out the tables are the blind and the lame. God's house from the beginning is intended to be a house of prayer, a place where people like me who are blind and lame can come for healing, a hospital for sinners we like to refer to it as. What Jesus leaves Jerusalem, after this encounter, he goes to Bethany, 
about a mile and a half away from Jerusalem on the southeast slope of the Mount of Olives. And then he returns, and on his way back, he needs something to eat, and he passes a fig tree which should be bearing fruit. But it isn't. There isn't a single fig on it. And he curses the tree and causes it to wither instantly, and his disciples marvel at that. And we understand that to be Israel. Again, my house is to be a house of prayer, a house of healing for the blind and the lame. You're not bearing fruit. And so Jesus returns into Jerusalem now, and now he is confronted by the chief priest, by the elders. And if they were here today, they would say to him, who do you think you are to do this in our house? Who gave you the authority to do these things and to say these things? And so Jesus responds to them with a series of parables, which leads us to our parable today. First, he he tells them a parable about two sons, one where the father tells the son to go and do something, and initially he says, no, I'm not doing it. But then later he regrets it, and he changes his mind, and he does what he's instructed to do. The second son says, sure, Dad, I'll do it. And then he walks away, and he doesn't do it. And Jesus asked them, which one is the obedient son? And they answer correctly. It's the one who changed his mind, the one who repented of his rebellion to the Father and then actually obeyed, actually followed through. Jesus says, you're the ones who aren't repenting. This is what he says to the elders and the priest, representative of the nation of Israel. You're the son who's saying, sure, but then not doing it. And he tells them that tax collectors and harlots, representative of sinful people, tax collectors and harlots are entering the kingdom of God before you. Maybe a little offensive, right, to their sensibilities. He tells them another parable. This is the one that Father James spoke to us on last week, the parable of the vineyard, where, and I won't go through all of that, you can listen to his his homily. Again, they see themselves a little bit in their rejection of God. And then Jesus says, I'll tell you another parable, just in case you haven't caught on yet as to what I'm challenging you about. I'll tell you another parable, and that's the one that Father David read to us this morning. In this parable, though, Jesus goes a little bit further because last week it was the servants of the vineyard owner who came to reap the harvest. And maybe we can understand a little bit why they might be upset because, after all, they're the ones that did all the work. They're the ones that have been slaving away, and then here come these servants, and they're going to take all the produce and leave? I don't think so. This is ours. We did the work. This should be ours. We can maybe understand why they would respond that way. But in the parable today, servants are sent not to take the fruits of their labor, but to invite them to a wedding feast. Invite them to a party, a magnificent party. 
And yet, they respond by abusing and killing the servants who are inviting them to a party. Who does that? Well, we do that. We do that. So let me unpack the imagery here a little bit for us that the fathers help us to see. The king says that the feast has been prepared, that he has a, he slaughtered an oxen and a fattened calf. And the fathers tell us that the oxen represents the Old Testament scriptures because in the Old Testament scriptures, in the Old Testament, there were animal sacrifices. And the fattened calves, the word there in the Greek is, the, is a, a play on words. It's setista, which means formed from wheat. Sitos is wheat. And so these fattened calves have been fattened on wheat. The fathers see that to being referred to loaves, loaves that are baked with wheat, because we now offer loaves on the altar rather than fattened calves. And they're saying, what Jesus is saying is, I've given you the scriptures, I've given you the riches of the scriptures to be able to see and respond rightly to me. The king sends representatives, the first servant and servants that are sent, the fathers tell us represent Moses and those with him who called the people to trust God's word and to follow it from captivity in Egypt into the promised land, but they refused, right? For 40 years, God was travailing with them as they wandered in the wilderness. The other servants then that are sent, the fathers tell us, are the Old Testament prophets. Some of them they killed, like the prophet Isaiah. Others they abused, treated poorly, like the prophet Jeremiah, who was thrown into a miry pit. And many, if not most, of the rest were simply ignored, turned down the invitation. One response in this parable is that a person goes to their field, and the Father says that our bodies are our field. In other words, they, they turn to pleasure, the pleasures of this life. No thanks, I don't want to go to your party. I'm going to pursue my own enjoyment. And another turns towards business or towards merchandise, acquiring more. Yeah, I'd love to come to your party. I'd love to come to the wedding. I'm sure it'll be nice, but, you know, I have extra work to do at work if I'm going to get ahead, if I'm going to get this promotion, if I'm going to be able to make a little more money to buy that nicer car or go on that better vacation. I, thanks, but no thanks. And often that's our response, isn't it? Thanks. That's, it's nice, I appreciate the invitation, but, but not right now. But there's a problem. The wedding is still going to happen. The wedding feast is ready. The oxen and the fatling have been slaughtered. Things are prepared. There need to be guests. And so the king sends out his servants to find more. And these other servants that go out, the fathers tell us, are the apostles who were sent to the Gentiles. And I, in the old King James, it, I think the term is that they go the highways and byways, the byways being kind of off the beaten path. So the first servants went on the highway. They went to the group that God had created for himself to be a nation of priests, and they said, no thanks. And so he said, okay, well, go off onto the side roads, go down the alleys, go on the pathways that are diverted off of 
the way, the truth, and see who you can find. And in verse 10, it says, They gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, and they filled up the wedding hall. It didn't matter. Everyone was invited. Everyone was invited. It was simply by the grace and the mercy of God that all of us are called to come into the wedding feast. Now remember, this is in the conversation that Jesus is having with the priest and the elders. And he already told them that the tax collectors and the harlots, certainly they're on the byways, they're on the side roads, that they were going to enter the kingdom, the wedding, ahead of them. Why? Because they were more interested in the pursuit of the pleasures of this life. They were striving not to enter the kingdom of heaven, but to build their own kingdoms. They were too busy, too distracted, too satisfied to be bothered with the wedding of the king's son. In ancient times, when a king or a prince in the east would invite people to come and celebrate a feast like a wedding, he would provide all of the guests with festal clothing suitable for such an event. Because a common person like me wouldn't necessarily have a closet full of nice clothes, much less fancy party clothes, that would be suitable for being in the court of the king. And so he would freely give them a new garment, a beautiful garment that was clean and not torn from abuse or neglect. When I was growing up, we had a particular phrase for the kind of clothes that you would wear to church. And uh, it was that you would wear your Sunday best. And of course, what that consisted of from family to family depended on how much money you, your parents had or what kind of clothes they could buy. But the idea was is you would, you would wear the best clothes that you had to church because God was worthy of our best, even of our clothing. I suppose this is my Sunday best now. And that too was a gift. So in, in Jesus' parable, the king went around then to inspect his guests who had responded to the invitation to come and were given a clean wedding garment to put on. And as he surveys the, the gathered guests, the king comes across one guest who is not wearing a clean wedding garment. It's really quite strange in the story because the wedding hall is full and everyone apparently has their wedding garment on except this one man. They had all responded to the invitation of the king. But this man chose apparently to clothe himself in something other than the wedding garment that he had been given. And for this decision, he is thrown out of the wedding into the outer darkness outside of the king's wedding hall. So what are we to make of this parable? 
It's an interesting story. Well, the fathers of the church tell us that every person who responds to the invitation, to the call of the king, to enter into the wedding banquet, to enter into the kingdom of Christ, is given in baptism a new garment, one that is beautiful and clean, one that is free from tears and stains, a garment of spiritual purity. This garment is our life, our practice, says St. John Chrysostom. And yet the calling was of grace. Wherefore then doth he take a strict account? In other words, if this is by grace, why is the king inspecting them? St. John writes, because although to be called and to be cleansed was of grace, yet when called and clothed in clean garments, to continue keeping them so, this is of the diligence of them that are called. This is our job. This is our responsibility. For to come in with filthy garments into the wedding hall is this namely, he writes, to depart hence one's life impure. Wherefore, this man was speechless. What could he say? He had been given the wedding garment and he was not clothed in it. At the beginning of the baptismal service, the deacon or the priest offers a litany to God, and among the many requests, there is one in particular I want to bring to your attention. He prays this, that he or she, the one being baptized, may preserve his baptismal garment and the earnest of the Spirit, the the down payment, the deposit of the Spirit, pure and undefiled unto the dread day of Christ our God. From baptism on, this is our call, to keep our garments clean and pure until the day when Christ our God comes to inspect our wedding garments. Reverence the love of him who called you, says St. John Chrysostom. Reverence the love of him who called you And let no one continue to have filthy garments, but let each of you busy himself about the clothing of your soul. Is that what I'm doing? Is that what you are doing? Are you busying yourself with the clothing of your soul? St. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 writes, Therefore, as the elect of God, the called ones, the ones who have been invited, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all of these virtues, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Love bonds all of these virtues into a perfect whole. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Eucharist. 
and be Eucharist. Be thankful. This is what it means to be called by God into his kingdom. Through grace and mercy, invited freely to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Given beautiful white robes to clothe our souls in, in this life. And so to strive earnestly to maintain these holy garments through ongoing confession and repentance, through receiving the sacraments of the church which have been given to us by Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and the healing and salvation of our souls. St. John the Apostle writes towards the end of the Revelation, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. May we, who mystically represent the cherubim and sing the thrice holy hymn to the life-giving trinity, now... Now, lay aside all earthly care that we may receive the King of all, invisibly escorted by the angelic host. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Glory to Jesus Christ. Amen.